Well, I had a great vacation. Um, I got a chance to get some time away and to just relax a little bit. It's been a very busy four months for me and I'm sure for a, for a lot of you too. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to get some time away. And I'm grateful to the people from our church who, who worked to make that possible and in particular to Tom and to Jill and to Marjorie and Janelle for bringing a message on each of the last several weeks. So um, I'm grateful for people who made it possible. Uh, for me to get some time away. People have asked me, though, since then, uh, am, am I glad to be back? And the answer is, I'm back at work, but I'm not really back. The, the, the church isn't back. I mean, we're, we're by, by the grace of God, we're able to continue to worship together because we have the Internet and we're able to have online worship, so that's a good thing, but we're not really back. We're not where we started the year expecting to be and we haven't been able to return to that that place and so I'm looking forward to that and um, the the situation keeps changing and then the 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 policy decisions there are changing too so I'm not sure exactly when we will be back at that level but we're going to we're going to keep aiming at it uh, one of the churches uh, one of the biggest churches in, in the country uh, just announced this past week that they would be um, not meeting in person um, until 2021. I'm certainly hoping we can beat that. That's, that's, uh, uh, their situation and I'm, I'm hoping that that doesn't turn out to be our situation. So we're working on figuring out how we can, how we can meet together in person or at least some of us. Um, the other day, uh, I, I've been back since, since Tuesday off and on, but, um, the other day I was walking across the parking lot and as it happened, there were three different JLPers who were out in the, parking lot doing different things. So uh, Joy was over by the uh, education building. She was doing some work in the flower bed. And then Dennis and Jenny were working on the um, the island, doing some weeding. And um, so I got a chance to talk to them. It was great to see them. And then uh, while I was still talking to them, Donna and Celia showed up because they were going to record uh, the music, some of the music you heard, um, you will hear in our worship service today. Um, so I got a chance to see five members of our church, and then I saw saw Sally across the street. So it was a, it was a great opportunity to, to see a bunch of people from the church, more, more honestly than I've seen at any one time since March. But that just reminded me how much I miss the rest of you. I just miss our church, and I miss the opportunity to see and just uh, to to be pastor and just really to be a person around other people. So it was a it was it was something I enjoy doing, and at the same time, I it it didn't satisfy me. I want more of that. And I, my guess is that a lot of you are dealing with the same thing, that you're, you're functioning, but you're not where you'd like to be. And that's, that's the, the, the idea that, uh, Paul is dealing with in the, in the passage we're going to look at today. Paul uh, misses his church. That Paul wrote this uh, letter to, to, uh, a church because that's what Paul did when he, when he was away from a church and couldn't be there in person. Paul characteristically wrote a letter, and uh, that's what we're going to be doing in this new conversation we're starting today. Uh, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to um, uh, a particular church called First Thessalonians. And so, so Paul did write a lot of letters. He uh, wrote 13 letters that that survived and actually were incorporated into the the uh, collection of documents that we know as the New Testament. The church held on to those letters pass them around, circulate them, and over the next couple of centuries, they, they made them into what we call the New Testament. And Paul wrote 13 of them uh, that, that survived in that form, and we don't know how many others he wrote to churches. 
but uh, his, his collection of letters amounts to about a quarter of the New Testament. And one of the interesting things about 1 Thessalonians is it's probably the earliest of those documents. It's the one he wrote soonest after, um, uh, after the resurrection and after Paul became a believer himself. Uh, it's it's our, probably our earliest surviving uh, doc, document from the early church. There's some other candidates, and there's always experts who will say, no, it's this or that. But uh, the, the consensus among scholars seems to be that 1 Thessalonians was first. And uh, they say that there's good reasons to believe in terms of uh, other evidence we have outside the Bible and from things within the Bible that tell us that it was probably written about 51 A.D., uh, may, maybe as early as 50. So we're looking at something no more than about two decades after the, the resurrection. And so so it is a very early document. And so it really gives us a, a look at what the early church was was dealing with and, and how they understood the, the story of Jesus how, and how it affected their lives. So that's why we're, we're going to be calling this this conversation a brand new testament because uh, the, the document we're looking at is really the beginning of the process that would eventually become our New Testament. So, so that is uh, what we're doing, and that raises the question, well, who was Paul writing to? The, the letter is the first letter to the Thessalonians, and the Thessalonians were people who lived in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a city in, in what is today Greece. The way Romans uh, ran things when they, when they conquered Greece, they divided Greece up into districts, and the northern district was called Macedonia. And Thessalonica was the capital city of, of uh, Macedonia. There were other regions, and the region to the south is called Achaia. So, so uh, Paul is writing from uh, someplace else to a church that he started in Thessalonica. And uh, we know from the book of Acts, we know that, that Paul arrived there from a different town in, North, uh, in North, North Greece, in Macedonia, called Philippi. And he arrived there um, probably limping and covered with bruises because uh, what happened to him in Philippi is uh, there was uh, some, some, he attracted opposition and um, people didn't want to hear what he had to say and he was arrested and beaten by the, the uh, official officials of the town and then thrown into a prison. And he was finally expelled from the town after that. So he's probably aching when he arrives in Thessalonica, but he was able to start a church there. And uh, unfortunately, he wasn't able to stay because uh, trouble followed Paul around. And so uh, it came for him in Thessalonica and he was uh, confronted with actually a riot and uh, a mob was looking for him, and he ended up needing to escape the town at night. So, so that's the the situation. He he can't go back. He misses the church. Um, he loves the people in the church, but he can't go back. In fact, one of the one of the Christians in Thessalonica had to post a bond that, that said that Paul would not come back. So Paul can't return to Thessalonica, but but um, he misses them and. It's not just that he misses them. He knows that they've got problems, and he wishes he could be there to help out, uh, but he can't. And um, that really makes the the situation that Paul's facing uh, even more comparable to our own because we have problems. Um, you know, you you know what they are. This is 2020, right? The year we'd all like to forget. It's it's the year that began with the coronavirus, um, and then the coronavirus led to 
a lockdown, and so even people who didn't, who weren't directly impacted by the coronavirus, they did, they didn't have, um, they, they weren't infected or anything. They still, you know, had to to quit going to work or whatever whatever that looked like for different uh, businesses. We're still wearing masks. We've got plexiglass all over the place. So we're dealing with the lockdown, but we're also dealing with the e- economic impact and some of the other impacts. Uh, people's travel plans were disrupted. Uh, people's educations were were disrupted. So in a lot of ways, it, the, the lockdown had a lot of impacts, and we're still not really out of the uh, out of the lockdown. We're kind of, you know, partly, mostly out or going back in or wherever we are with the lockdown. So there's a lot of things related to that. And then and then if that wasn't enough, then we had the the problems that that arose because of police violence and and racism, and we we had to deal with that. And then there, the the protests uh, showed us that we weren't. Uh, done dealing with it, that that it, the, the questions weren't resolved, and in fact they they continued to bubble and and uh, the protests became riots, and in fact um, it's been almost two months of of nightly rioting in Portland, and I think 22 people killed. It's it's been a um, it's been uh, a very hard year in a lot of ways, and then on top of that, it's an election year, and it probably the most polarized electoral year certainly that I can remember and and uh, I would say in in living memory um, it is it is the most amazingly polarized political situation so there's just a lot of stuff going on there's a lot of problems and that impacts all of us in different ways but we have problems and so we can look to this letter because Paul wrote it to encourage a church that was facing problems and unlike you know however many other letters he wrote to however many other churches in the case of this letter that early church, the Thessalonians, the, the church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, they saved this letter. They said, you know what, there is so much in here, we need to hold on to this because it's encouragement. Not, it's not just a, a one and done situation. This is something that people need to see. And so they made copies of it. They circulated around nearby communities and it was passed down um, uh, until over, over a couple of centuries was actually incorporated into the New Testament. So they did that for us because they wanted us to be encouraged by Paul's words as well. So that's, that's why we can look to this particular letter and find um, encouragement. First, because, because we miss the people in our church, and second, because uh, the people in our church, really the people in our whole community, but particularly the people in the church, are facing problems. And so Paul is writing to encourage us. So um, uh, what were those problems? Well, Paul doesn't tell us. Um, in fact, if we if we look at the if we look at the um, the letter, Paul begins like like all letters do. He says it's from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So Paul was part of this missionary team, and Paul seemed to be the leader and seemed to do a lot of the writing. Um, but the three of them write this letter to the Thessalonians church that is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So your basic letter, um, and then grace to you, uh, grace and peace to all of you. So that's how he begins the letter. But then, instead of saying what we might say, which is, man, I've heard about all your troubles, and that's just so hard, and I I feel so bad, Paul doesn't tell them about what's wrong. He doesn't tell them what what they've been dealing with. Instead, Paul tells them what he sees when he looks at them. He says, says, when I look at you, you know, whatever, whatever you're dealing with, you know, whatever it feels like to be on the inside of it, here's what it looks like from the outside. I want you to realize... I'm seeing some amazing things here. So he says, We always thank God for all of you when we mention you constantly in our prayers. 
So he says, he says, I look at you and I see a lot to be just amazed by the, the way that God is working in your lives. So um, uh, maybe it's because Paul has the perspective that comes from being an apostle, um, or maybe it's just because he's got some distance and he can he can see it. But Paul says, you need to be aware of this. I mean, obviously you're aware of the ways you're suffering, but you need to be aware of the ways that, that God is at work in your life, which I can see um, from my perspective. So so he says, you need to be aware of that. We, we thank God, and we want to make sure you're aware too. And then he says what they are. He says what those things are. And um, he says, this is because we remember your work that comes from faith, your effort that comes from love, and your perseverance that comes from hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So um, that's a lot to unpack, and so we're going to hold off on that. We're going to He's going to tell us some more at the end of this passage that will help us to to understand what, where he's uh, what he's getting at there. So we'll we'll come back to verse three, but and then in verse four, he says, "Brothers and sisters, you are loved by God, and we know that He has chosen you." So why would Paul say that? Why would Paul say that you're loved by God? Well, the reason is because Paul is concerned that they will think that the the God that they have they have become um, converts to that 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 um, that they will they will think that this new God they they are they are converts to the Christian faith and that they will see that God the same way that they saw the gods of their childhood the gods that they were familiar with from the the different polytheistic religions that that they would have been familiar with and and the thing about those gods is you wanted to stay off their radar that that uh, if you did anything to to you know Athena or Zeus or one of those other ones, if you offended them in any way, they would cause you all kinds of trouble. And the next thing you know, it's the Trojan War, and you know, you know, countless thousands dead. And you know, so you wanted to stay off the radar of the gods, and that they were very touchy and prickly. And Paul's saying, no, 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 the God that 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 you believe in, the God that you put your trust in, is not like that. That that you are, in fact, loved by God, that you've got problems, but it's not because God is upset with you, it's not because God hates you, it's not because God is getting even with you. It's because of, other, uh, it's because of the fact that, that this is part of what Christianity is, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But he says, he says don't think that the, the problems you've got are because, because God is unhappy with you, that, that God loves you, God has chosen you. So uh, that's verse 4. And then he says how he knows that. How does he know that? He says, we know this because our good news didn't come to you just in speech, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. He says, when we arrived in Thessalonica, when we, when we first met you and started telling you the good news about Jesus, we experienced something. We, we experienced not just the, 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 the feeling, the, the experience of talking to an audience, telling them about some good news about Jesus. We experienced something that was different. It was supernatural. He says, he says, it came with power and the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And I don't know what that looked like. And, and maybe the Thessalonians, maybe it was something that he just felt, you know, internally to himself. Maybe it was something that they, they recognized what he was talking about. But, but Paul says, I know that. I, I have a supernatural confidence that, that, um, God was at work in that 
in those meetings when we when we first proclaimed the good news about Jesus to you. He says, I know this. I have confidence in it, supernatural confidence. And, you know, Paul wrote a quarter of the New Testament. So if Paul says he's got supernatural confidence in something, I tend to to go with Paul on that. But he hasn't written it yet. So far, he's written four verses of it. This is the first document, right, Paul? So Paul uh, doesn't have that that. Um, uh, uh, we don't know to interpret Paul that way yet, and maybe his, his audience doesn't either. So he goes on. He says, you know as well as we do. So he says, okay, that's what I know, but here's what you know. And he says, what, what, what do you know? He says, you know what kind of people we were when we were with you. You know what it was like when we showed up covered with bruises and aching. Um, you know what kind of treatment we got when, when we arrived there. You know about the riots. You know about having to, having to escape at night. You know what it was like for us. And he says, you became imitators of us in the Lord when you accepted the message that came from the Holy Spirit with joy in spite of great suffering. He said, he said, you are now part of that. You have, you have become imitators of, of us who you, you saw what happened to us. And he says, and we told you about what happened to Jesus. The greatest man who ever lived was crucified a criminal's death. So you know that this is part and parcel of being a Christian. Uh, Christianity does not promise people uh, a life that's pain-free and problem-free. What it does is it offers you joy in the midst of trouble. So he says, you accepted the message that came from the Holy Spirit with joy in spite of great suffering. That This is characteristic, that we don't get an end to problems. What we get is joy in our problems. And he says, you have become imitators of us. We can look at your life and say that's not unlike what's happened to Paul, and Paul is not unlike what happened to Jesus. So he says this is this is something that, that we taught you to expect. And he says what you may not realize there in Thessalonica is that you have become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So both in northern Greece and down in southern Greece, uh, people have heard about you and you become an example. Now they could say, yeah, you know, those Thessalonians, they, they're being uh, uh, oppressed. They're being persecuted the same way Paul was. So, so he says, you're now part of that. You're an example for them. And then he says, the message about the Lord rang out from you, not only in Mac- Mac- Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. Um, so it, maybe Paul's writing from southern Greece, maybe he's writing from uh, across the Aegean Sea in Ephesus, but Paul's saying every place he goes, every place he goes, people have heard about the the, um, the Thessalonians. So it's like he's going, you know, he shows up in town, says, you know, let me tell you about this guy, Jesus. And he's, oh, you're a Christian. Man, I've heard about those Christians. I, You know, my cousin came down from Macedonia. He told me about what's going on in Thessalonica. You're like that. So um, you're one of them. And so he says, the news has spread, so we don't even need to mention it. He says, he says, people, you know, we're going to brag on you. We're going to talk about what a, what a great faithful congregation you are. And people interrupt us to tell us they already know. So he says, he says, the news has spread, so we don't even need to mention it. And then he says, what he's hearing, what people are telling him. So he says, people tell us about what sort of welcome we had from you and how you turned to God from idols. As a result, you're serving the living and true God, and you are waiting for his son from heaven. His son is Jesus, who is the one he raised from the dead, and who is the one who will rescue us from the coming wrath. So he says, that's what people 
tell him. And uh, what we're going to see, we're going to look at this and we're going to see basically he's saying, they're telling me the same thing I just told you, the thing that I see that, that I give thanks for in my prayer. So what I want to do is unpack that that little bit there uh, in verse 9 and 10 and compare it to what Paul said back in verse 3. So, so in verse 3, Paul says, he says, we remember your work that comes from faith, your effort that comes from love, and your perseverance that comes from the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So Paul's talking about faith, love, and hope. And uh, maybe you've been to a wedding where you heard a different letter of Paul's read the letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, three things abide, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So people routinely read that at weddings. But Paul's saying, that's not just a wedding thing. That's, that's a life thing. He says, this is the way people live their lives, that, that we're governed by the things that we have faith in, the things we love, and the, the hope we have. So, so he says, so he says that. And, um, so to, to look at it closely, he says in verse three, he says, he says, we remember your work that comes from faith, your work that comes from faith. So the idea here is that when when you arrive at a conclusion, when, when you become convicted of some some truth, when it when it, you know, it, it switches from that's that's an interesting theory. I'm not sure if I believe that, too. I really do believe that that's that's what I would I would bank on it at that point. Often it leads to some kind of action that we say, you know what, in light of that, if that's true, then here's the thing that I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to do differently. I'm going to have to start doing. I'm going to have to stop doing that. That oftentimes that that settled conviction leads to some kind of action. So he says he says you did something you 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 did work that came out of your faith. Well, what was that? Well, in verse nine, he says people tell us about how you turned to God from idols. You turned to God from idols. So, so they had become, when, when, when Paul arrived in Thessalonica, they had, they had become Christians. They had turned away from whatever uh, religious uh, background they had, you know, adherence of Mars or, or um, Venus or whoever, and they, they had turned to God from idols. So they, they, they turned to God. We understand that part. What we may not appreciate is what it cost them to turn from idols because, because the, the faith of their childhood, the faith of their community was, um, pervasive. It was a part of all of, all of life. Uh, there were, there were, uh, holidays almost every week, uh, that, that were related to one God or another. So, uh, it would be like a block party. If you think of, if you think of a, a, a neighborhood, Fourth of July block party. Everybody gets together and you know does whatever they do. If you think of something like that, and almost weekly, year-round, 40 times a year, people get together for some kind of a little community celebration, um, and and uh, you know you 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 don't go. I mean, you you know anybody could miss one, but then you miss a second one, and then you miss a third. You you are telling people you know uh, or, or people are inferring. That you're not a part of the community, you know. They they're saying to themselves, you know, hey, where is where is Bob? Where is Sally? They're 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 not here, you know. That's strange because they weren't at the Looper Cal um, uh, 
last week or or last month I was at the Bacchanalia and, and they weren't there either, you know, and, and the Saturnalia, where have they been? What's gotten into them? What what is it with Bob and Sally? Why have they quit coming to these things? And and they would eventually ask themselves, Well, maybe they're just not a part of our community. Maybe they have become uh, aliens, maybe they've become outsiders. Um and and that would be something that they would be they'd be thinking and and so the, as the 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 these celebrations these festivals bound the the community together the same way that you know the 4th of July and some other holidays bind us together as a nation they had a whole bunch of them and they bound the community together and so when somebody is missing people say well maybe you're just not part of the community and it's actually even worse than that because by this point, by 50 AD, there was something um, in, in Greece and the eastern parts of the Roman Empire, there's something called the um, uh, imperial cult, which means that Caesar was revered as a god, that you had to you had to act as if you believed, and it's unclear how much people actually believed it, but, but Caesar was revered as a god and you had to offer the right sacrifice. And it was, a, it was something that, that if you failed to do it, if you failed to honor Caesar as god, then... That wasn't just making a religious statement, it was making a political statement. And if you've ever wondered, do people really like it when you make political statements? Um, you know, try posting something to social media. Uh, try posting, you know, your honest belief about a particular political situation on social media. And you're going to find that people aren't any more forgiving about political statements now than they were in the first century. So so there are a lot of reasons why turning to God meant turning away from idols. So Paul says, you've done this work. Your faith led you to do something, and it was work. It was, it was not an easy thing to do. And he says, then he goes on, he says, your effort that comes from love, that it was work, that it's that it's, it continues to be work, that, that it's not easy, that you know, flowing along with the rest of society, flowing along with the culture is easy, but swimming against the current is a lot harder. And he says, you've been doing that, and why do you do it? Well, because of love. He says, he says you've found something better. You know, this is that, 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 that you have found something better than what you had before. Well, what was that? He says in verse 10, um, that people are telling him, he says, you are serving the living and true God. What makes the living and true God better? Well, first of all, God is living and not, not a dead idol. But, but even if we imagine that Jupiter or, or, you know, Athena or whoever is a, is a living God, the, the Greek gods, the Roman gods were notoriously fickle. They were unreliable. Um, one of them, the god Janus, we, we, we name our month January after, after Janus. He had two faces. And he would say one thing out of this mouth and say another thing out of that mouth, you know. That was, that was Janus. You couldn't trust anything he said. So he's saying that you have turned from a duplicitous, a false god, a, a, a liar, to a god who is true. So he says, you found something better. You found something more worthy of your devotion. And so you've turned to it, and that in turn um, is, is what keeps you going. And he says that gives you perseverance. So the perseverance that comes from hope in the Lord Jesus. So perseverance, why do you need perseverance? Well, because the neighbors aren't happy, because 
the, the community officials are suspect that you might not be a loyal citizen. So, so there's a lot of reasons why there's going to need to be some perseverance. And he says that people are telling them, as, as they listen to other people talk about them, he says, you're waiting for his son from heaven. So you're persevering. What, what, is it, what is perseverance? What does waiting have to do with hope? Well, it means that there's a destination, that, that, that you know this is not the end, that this is not the, the, the place you're, you're always going to be at, that, that you believe something better is out there and you're waiting for it. You have, you have a hope, which is that better destination that you're, you're, um, you're uh, going to. And what is that? Well, he says, waiting for his son from heaven. The, your particular hope is you're waiting for Jesus to return, at, which he promised to do, and complete the work of salvation. So he says, you're looking forward to Jesus' return, um, who will um, complete the work of salvation. So, so he says that you have um, uh, a faith, love, and hope. And Paul, Paul says that's not just for weddings. That's, that's the way we navigate through life, and particularly when life is difficult. That these, things, these things are what motivate us. These things are what give us direction. And this is not a religious thing. This is just a human thing, that, 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 that we are motivated by these things. You know, just, just to pick a, a really easy example, why do you take the garbage out? Why, why do you take the garbage out? Well, you have faith. You have some conviction, some settled conviction that it's better not to let it accumulate, that it's a bad thing to have garbage, you know, flowing out of your, your kitchen, you know, into the living room or something, that you think that's a bad idea, that, that you've arrived at that conviction. So it leads you to do work. It leads you to take the garbage out and to take it out next week and the week after that to, to, uh, continue doing that work when it would certainly be a lot easier to do nothing and just kind of wade through it. That would be easier, but you do the work. So you're motivated by that idea of a better thing. This is a better thing to, to take out the garbage, um, even though it is work. And he says, why do you, why do you endure it? Because you have hope that, that my life will be better, that, that I won't get sick or the house won't smell, that, that you have a destination in mind, that, that you're, you're thinking that, that the garbage is a solvable problem, and so that's why you do it. So, so uh, we're, we're motivated by these things, and Paul says that's true of every aspect of our life. But he says what matters is what it is you believe, who you believe. What is it you put your trust in? And he says they have picked the right thing. Or really, he says, remember, he said that God chose them. He says God has chosen them, that they have, they have the right thing. They, they have chosen the right one, and uh, they have they have found a better God than the one that they thought that that they knew, and they have hope because Jesus promised to return and complete the work of salvation. So, so he says that they have made the best decisions in the areas of faith, hope, and love, the things that motivate us as we go through life. So he says that that's the place they're at. That's the encouragement he sees it from wherever he's writing from. And so does everybody else who knows about them, which is a lot of people. He says everybody's talking about this, that they have, they have, they have gotten into a place, they've arrived at a place where they have, they have picked the highest thing to be, to, to trust. They've picked the highest thing to devote themselves to, and they've picked the, the greatest hope for the future, that that's what Paul says about them. And, so the question for us is, we look at our own problems, as we try to say, well, what encouragement can I find 
in this letter for me in the face of coronavirus and economic troubles and so forth, what encouragement is there for me? Well, the answer is, what have you put your trust in? And is it worth your trust? Is it reliable? Is it going to collapse? You know, uh, have you put your trust in your bank account? Well, this year should have taught you by now that maybe that's not as trustworthy as you thought it was. You put your faith in politics? Well, we'll see. Maybe maybe the other side of November is, is uh, paradise, but I'm not sure if it's worth banking everything on the outcome of our next election. The question for us is, what have we put our trust in, and is it worth our trust? What is our highest aspiration? And is it worth it? Is it the best we can aspire to? Is it something worth our love? And does it love us back? Does it inspire love in us for others? And what is our hope? Do we have a hope that's higher, that's, that's more worth our, our effort, our endurance, than more of the same? Have we got a hope? Can we truly hope that Jesus will return, that Jesus will complete the work of salvation? These are the questions that this passage invites. They invite us to say, what have we put our hope in? What do we love What is our highest love? And what do we trust? What is our faith truly in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our problems are certainly different than the problems of the Thessalonians, but they trouble us. They trouble so many people in our nation. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have the convictions that that the Thessalonians had to endure the trouble for the sake of the, the, the good thing that is a relationship with you. Help us to see you at work in us and help us to be like Paul, uh, encouragers of people who need encouragement. Help us to um, share um, with others who need to be encouraged, uh, to need to know how we see God at work in their life. And help us to find models, people who are ahead of us in their Christian faith, that we can look to them as the Thessalonians look to Paul and say, okay, well, that's, that's a good goal for me to, to aim at. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.